This is the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Fur Neiman. If you're looking to generate wealth and passive income in the lucrative world of mobile home parks, you're in the right place. You'll discover solutions to the common legal and operational pitfalls and how to optimize parks to maximize income. Your host is in the trenches. He's a real estate attorney, financial analyst, and mobile home park investor and operator. Now, let's turn it over to Fern Neiman. Welcome back, Mobile Home Park Nation. Today, I'm going to dive into something that, uh, honestly, I didn't think I needed to cover, um, but it's, it's come up recently with a few clients and prospective clients, so I thought I'd cover it. And and it's it's what I call the common sense of running a business and, and that is protecting yourself uh, through a limited liability company. And I try to skip over the, the mundane and kind of 101 stuff here on the podcast, try to go more 201, 301, uh, frankly, because that, that other stuff bores me. But um, today I'm going to cover kind of a hybrid. So, you know, Reader's Digest version, you cannot ever own property in your personal name. That is just craziness uh, for a number of reasons. The, the chief reason being you have massive liability exposure. If I own a mobile home park in my name and something bad happens, my maintenance guy, you know, cuts his arm off. My mowing guy runs over the paper boy. Uh, pit bull eats the neighbor kid. Something horrible like that. Not only am I going to get sued and lose my trailer park, I'm going to lose my house. I'm going to lose my car. I'm going to lose my checking account, etc. And... I can have some protection with insurance, and, and you should have umbrella insurance even in addition to you know general liability insurance, work comp insurance, etc. But you have to have an LLC. And there's other corporate structures, C-Corp, S-Corp, LLP, you know, all those have their own pros and cons. I think the, the common wisdom today is you get an LLC, which is typically taxed as a partnership, which means it flows through. That's another benefit. It's not double taxed like a C-Corp. Um, doesn't have the same sort of restrictions as, as an S-Corp. LLP, I don't really know the fruits of an LLP. I don't really see why you do an LLP other than LLC unless there's some state-specific rule. Such as, I know California, <clears throat> a lot of the law firms are LLPs instead of LLCs, so there must be some uh, prevailing wisdom there that I'm ignorant of. But overall, just go to the LLC. And we set these things up for people all the time. And setting up the LLC is pretty simple. And my assistant does the, the first portion, which is you got to get an EIN from the, from the IRS. you got to get articles of organization from the state and there's a there's a small fee to that you know anywhere from 50 to a couple hundred bucks depending on the state you have to have a registered agent typically is a human who lives in the state that you incorporate and then you need an operating agreement an operating agreement if you have, if you're a single party just it doesn't matter find one on the internet if you got two or more people you probably need to have a lawyer draft it um, and you need to understand what's in there because it impacts your rights yeah, if you're doing a syndication, you also need the private place memorandum. And I've, I've covered that ad nauseum in other podcasts. So that's the 101. Um, I'm not going to dive into all the pros and cons of those. I think everybody gets that stuff at this point in the game. So here, here's, here's why I'm bringing this up today. Uh, a new client, he, he just sold property that he owned in his personal name, and he wants to do a 1031 exchange. Well... When you, when you buy the replacement property in a 1031 exchange, you must acquire title to rep- said replacement property in the same name as the previous property. Well, the previous property was John Smith. Well, that means you got to buy the next property in John Smith in order to avoid the, the capital gains. 
And he also wants to partner to a joint venture or a syndication on replacement property. Well, it's pretty hard to sell a minority, a minority interest or a majority interest in John Smith, as opposed to John Smith LLC number one. So he's got a practical problem at this point, even though he, he's skated free, you know, and didn't, didn't, you know, get eaten by the paper boy or, you know, run over by, you know, the paper boy or something like that, whatever the, however the hell that saying goes. Um, so he's kind of screwed the pooch already. But here's, so don't, don't, don't do that, one. But two, here's something that people mess up all the time, and it's called piercing the corporate veil. And they teach this stuff in business school, so I think there's a, there's a lot, more people, lot more people out there that went to business school than law school. So I, I thought there'd be more people that recognize it, um, and I'm sure there are. I don't mean to be offensive with that. I mean, I'm here to educate, but it's, it just blows my mind when people are, you know, you know, buying their personal TV through their LLC. Oh, cool. Hey, it's an, I get a tax write-off because it's, it's business money. Or they're taking a vacation. Oh, uh, my wife and I went to, like, my wife and I just got back from Key West. I didn't use my business credit card for anything. There are lots of people who are super aggressive and be like, oh, no, 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 I, um, we were looking at property. We were thinking about buying an investment property in Key West. So uh, that was, these meals, these are, uh, these are all deductible. This flight was all deductible. Oh, yeah, my wife, she's my assistant. Yeah. That's pretty aggressive if you ever get audited by the IRS, but it also might pierce the corporate veil. And what does that mean? It means basically you blow through, you pierce through this, this veil, this veil of limited liability which is the key fruit of the LLC, right? So don't do that. And how do you not do that? You, you act like you're a real company. And my dad and I started in, what, 2000, uh, 2008, March 2008, in the real estate business. And I said to dad at that time, I wasn't an attorney at that time, but I said, dad, we're going to set this thing up like we're a big company. In case one day we are a big company. And we bought a single rental house next to Rockers University. And I think I had $14,000 pulled together. Um, but we set it up and ran it like a big company. So what does that mean? How do we not pierce the corporate veil? Well, we do things like have appearances that matter. Like we have business cards. We had a website. Um, at that time, we didn't have the email. We still had, a, I had an at yahoo.com, uh, which I think is a little junior varsity. Um, but we, we had, at least it was at third floor properties, or it was, it was third floor properties at yahoo.com. Now I have the email at third floor properties.com. So, you know, that appearance helps. But you should have, you know, corporate formalities is another one. I mean, like appearances, but then also the formality of like, we, we, we typically do it, you know, quote, on New Year's Day. We have a board meeting. Hey, Ferd and Ferd, and Ferd what do you guys all want to do today? Let's vote. And we, we didn't have, and you know, you can make that as, as simple. And we keep minutes and we sign them and we record, we file these. Uh, file these. I got them in Google Drive, just a bunch of minutes. And I got it for a bunch of LLCs. And it just says, it can be as simple as, who was present? Members Ferd and Ferd. What did they decide? They decided that all preceding actions for the year prior are hereby ratified and approved that they were all you know, valid in accordance with the company goals and bylaws. And Ferd and Ferd are hereby you know, deputized to make similar and really, frankly any and all decisions in the, in the forthcoming year. It sounds ridiculous, but look, that, that's what a real company would do. They have minutes. They'd have board meetings. And, and, and another thing that a real company would do is they would they would not commingle. So like I have my cell phone, for example, is paid out of an LLC account. Okay, um, you know, my my home internet subscription is not because my wife uses it, my kids use it. And it's not just business. My work internet com com connection at my office is a business expense. I don't commingle the two. 
do I own shovels and drills and wheelbarrows and snowblowers in the business account? Yeah, I do, because they're used for my business. Um, my truck is owned by my business. Um, my wife's van is not. Um, so don't commingle. Don't buy stuff with your personal name. And then, you know, oh, it's, it's a kind of messy to keep getting reimbursed. Don't just pay for meals. You know, don't certainly don't buy things like groceries. Now, I pay for the occasional meal. Like, if we got a big work day, I'll buy pizza for the whole crew. But that's clearly for the crew. Now, am I eating some of that pizza? Yeah. But it's, it's part of the work. So that, that's a de minimis use of, uh, you know, for my benefit. De minimis benefit for me, getting a couple slices of pie, right? So ultimately, appearances matter. Avoid commingling, and then just follow formalities. Make sure your paperwork is set up properly. Make sure you have the right documentation at the state, the right name on the LLC checking account. Um, you've got to you file a separate tax return. Which if you have a, if you have a single member LLC, it's called a disregarded entity, and it just flows up to your personal. If you have two or more members, you have to file a Form 1040, which is a partnership return, in federally and in the state of where the activity is, which, which is where the money is made, which is where the property is at. Um, and then every investor gets what's called a K-1. So that kind of stuff is, you know, it's basically it's called good corporate governance. Rules, procedures, even beyond the law. Um, like, you know, I have tenant screening procedures, written procedures of how, how we approve people. Um, we have things like checklists for staff. We have uh, employment contracts with our property managers. We have waivers of liability for our vendors. We, we, we log, you know, insurance on our own casualty insurance on our own mobile homes and in real estate but we have workers comp insurance we require insurance from vendors or they be covered by our, our workers comp insurance etc those are the kind of things that a company does to watch its back so in addition to those things having uh, ancillary or perhaps primary benefits of liability protection it helps protect the piercing of the corporate veil which is a doomsday scenario uh, another thing is make sure you have arm's length transactions um this is, I don't think this is typically that big a problem. Like, I'm not going to push my own snow. I don't have a snowplow on a truck. So I'm not hiring my brother, you know, for, you know, an inflated price um, and, and stiffen my investors. So just, just make sure you do that as well. And then another one that people sometimes jack up is they don't maintain the appropriate capital levels. And this is one that I, you know, I, I probably am more aggressive at from a, cash capital, meaning I don't want to keep $100,000 in my trailer park checking account, right? I want to keep as little as reasonable, you know, when that's probably at least one month's revenue. So if I make if this, if this property has 20000 a month revenue, I should probably have at least 20000 reserves in there at all times. Um, but if that property gets sued, you know, because, you know, the lawn mowing guy shoots a rock and hits some kid in the head, that kid's parents are going to sue me for more than $20,000. So I would have essentially neutered their right to uh, receive benefit in a, in a judgment because I've diluted that account down to and down to 20000 So 20000 is probably reasonable enough. But if I had if I only kept like 50 bucks in there um, and just constantly kept bleeding it out so that it was you know making owner distributions to me so I don't have to have as much exposure, that would probably look like I'm purposely not maintaining appropriate capital levels. Uh, now, here's here's the saving grace to that. Insurance. So, court cases have decided, uh, you know, many a time that if I only got 50 bucks in an account, but I have a million-dollar liability policy, okay, I'm proper properly capitalized because there is 
a remedy or essentially there's 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 some a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow for that kid's parents to go to go sue me. So a lot of you know you can make up for a lot of sins in the past if you got uh, lots of liability insurance coverage. So, uh, but that's when people don't if they don't have proper insurance and they t- constantly you know bleed the account. You're really risking that that provision of you know, which is basically called maintaining appropriate capital, uh, having enough money in the account. So, those are the five or six. I wasn't really counting uh, five or six reasons and and, and and procedures, if you will, that can protect you from piercing the corporate veil. Can't emphasize enough how important it is, and can't emphasize enough to never own property in your in your personal name. You know your your personal residence. I don't care. I don't care that much if you have your personal residence, your name, but investment property, a mobile home park, holy cow! So, anyway, until next time, have fun, uh, stay safe, follow the law, and don't pierce that corporate veil. Thanks. You've been listening to the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Ferd Neiman. Ready to learn more? Go to www.themobilehomelawyer.com for free resources and materials to help you succeed. If you love the podcast, go to Apple Podcasts, give us your review, and subscribe today. Thank you for listening. Neither the Supreme Court of Missouri nor the Missouri Bar reviews nor approves certifying organizations or specialist designations. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertisements.